SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. Hello and welcome to Sierra Quest, to Adventure Game is Human. I'm your host, Matt bradley Shergi. We are taking a, a look at High-Res Adventure number zero, Mission Asteroid. Uh, despite the title number zero, this is the third adventure game, and this podcast is a look, chronologically, a monthly look at all of Sierra Online's adventure games. I think it comes to about three or four dozen, something like that. Most of them have Quest in the title. Uh, with me is Thrasher. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> and um, with us, we have a friend of the show, Brock Wilbur. He recently wrote a book with Nathan Rabin, Postal, for Boss Fight Books. Uh, we had him a while back on an episode talking about crappy Star Wars video games, of which there's no <laughs> lack of. Uh, Brock, welcome back to the show. I suppose this is also a crappy Star Wars game, in a way. Uh, yeah, so, yes. <laughs> really keeping the brand strong here. I, I think so. Rock solid brand. And uh, I... I I reached out to you for this one because I recall you had mentioned you're a huge Space Quest fan. And although we're nowhere near Space Quest, this is space adjacent. So um, we can kind of see Sierra's first flirtation with science fiction in the adventure genre. Right. Uh, did you have a computer growing up? How did you play some of these uh, games? And do you remember your first adventure game? Yes, yeah, see, Sierra um, game? I'm, I'm uh, from 1984. So I think I was getting into computers. I think my first computer was definitely uh, at my dad's office. And I remember, I remember games like, um, well, what's the one where you can talk to dolphins that Sierra made? EcoQuest. Mm -hmm. oh. I remember uh, EcoQuest. I remember uh, Super Solvers. Uh, and I remember the Goblins games. Uh, so those I remember were... <laughs> Super Solvers. <laughs> Is Super Solvers the one with the guy with the crazy hair and you do math problems? Yes, you do. And a, oh my God, a TV yeah. station <laughs> overrun with robots that are killing you. So, God. It might have Public played domain music. In the Hall of the Mountain King, perhaps? Yes, yes. Oh, that's I it. remember that shit. And then I forget my wife's birthday all the time. And that, that, <laughs> I think it's Swan Lake. Yeah, that's like I, I I always associate that bit of a uh, tripe with um, wedding ring commercials. Give her the gift she'll never forget. The free nut. Yeah, it's it, it's really something. But uh, oh, that, that's cool. I mean, yeah, work computers are a big part. I mean, the first computer games I played, my dad was able to telecommute a, a little bit doing some security work for Coca Cola in the early '90s, and so he had this big chonky 386 with a PC speaker. That of course, all the guys in the office had, had mountains of pirated games they would pass around. Of course, they work in security; they know how to do that. I, yeah. Our version of that was that uh, these games that I was getting, minus the educational ones, uh, were ones that uh, one of his employees in the office was like, "Hey, I'll go halvesies on you with this." Uh, so me and that, nice. me and me and my dad's friends split the cost when I was a kid. So. <laughs> That's a cool way to do it. I mean, I think my, my first, I, I was born in 82, and my first Sierra game would have been The Black Cauldron. Um, and I, I hadn't read the book, but because of the game, uh, or seen the cartoon, because of the game, I did read the book and ended up loving that whole series, The Pradane Chronicles by Lloyd Alexander. 
but this was when I lived in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and uh, at a at a private school because that's where you had to go if to have English most of the time uh, in your classes. And um, we all wore uniforms, like these really strict sweaters, and uh, looked like a preppy school, really. And they had an Apple II GS um, in in the computer lab. They also had what logo and perhaps something called Super Rabbit, maybe. Um, or Reader Rabbit. Reader Rabbit. That's it. There yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Thrasher? Do you remember your first Sierra game, and was it a home computer? What the, was the, the first, the first Sierra game would be well. The uh, well, actually, now that I think about it, the, the first one I sort of played, I believe, was the uh, the Black Cauldron game at my friend Eric's oh, house. Okay. I had spent the weekend with him, uh, and that was something they had, and we started playing it. Couldn't make heads or tails out of it, and stopped playing it. And then, like, a, <laughs> then like maybe. A year or two later, uh, I spent the weekend with my friend Mark, and we on on the week uh, at the time. I think we both lived within walking distance of of the school we went to, so like we walked and we stopped by the toy store. They had a copy of Space Quest Two. We brought it and played it that weekend, just kind of collectively. <laughs> it was very fun. I my first Space Quest was four, uh, and if you yeah. don't understand science fiction or space quest or uh humorous sci-fi like that that whole first section where you're trying to use a snare to trap the energizer bunny and steal his thing while like a screaming robot keeps murdering you like it <laughs> yeah. it, it, it still carries a level of trauma for me that like i, yeah. I don't like replaying that first part because i remember being a kid and being both terrified of everything and happening but also incredibly frustrated because i like, could just couldn't figure it out. And that was back in the time when you had to call the 1-900 number to get tips uh, if you were stuck at a point in an adventure game. So I remember racking up a lot of bills for my pa parents, like trying to be like, okay, I got to get through this menu as quickly as possible, but how do I fucking get the, the rabbit? <laughs> well, that that is something. Space Quest Four has a surprising amount of horror imagery, like the uh, mm. like like the people with like the weird rigs on their heads on the post-apocalyptic Xenon. That, that yeah. come out screaming at you. That's terrifying. The the Epi Rip Five Thousand, like just the character is you can't move, and like it it really is set up to be like a torture scene, right? <laughs> and the God, I mean, with Space Quest Four being your first one, what did we'll get to Mission Asteroid in a moment, dear reader? But it's not very <laughs> good. Um, with Space Quest Four, you know, there is that part. Oh, I haven't played it in like almost twenty years, but. Uh, you go back in time to the first game, is that right? Like, how did that strike you? Were you Absolutely. like, what the hell? Why yeah. does it look so ugly? Or was and, it, and like... it was also a bunch of stuff about, like, other parts of the franchise. Like, it's, yes. it's also about jumping around, like, in the franchise. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know what any of this is. I don't know what <laughs> jokes are about, like, IP stuff or these two guys from Andromeda. Or, like, it, it was just built on an entire culture that I had no footing for. So I just sort of guessed my way around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a famous sequence in the mall where it's the computer game store and there's a lot of inside baseball jokes exactly <laughs> uh was it the cd-rom version with the voices yes oh yeah gary I mean, that owens was, that was packed in with so much so much games man and he's like uh that uh you you look at the way the woman walks across the screen what a pant load he has such it's not quite Don Pardo. It's its own thing, but he has these weird-ass expressions. <laughs> and then if you look his vintage game show clips on YouTube, he would always use expressions like that, just throw in these 
non secular things that sound like an alien came up with them. Well, well, that's the thing. Like, like Gary Owens, like he he first he'd been an announcer forever, but like he first rose to re, like real international stardom as the announcer for Rowan and Martin's Laugh In, and that was his whole whole his whole thing. He would make these announcements and then throw in these weird non sequitur one liners, and that really was his his style all the way to the end. So, Mission Asteroid. Uh, this was the third <laughs> game released by Sierra, um, although it's called Adventure Game Number Zero, because this was meant as an introductory adventure. This is the price. introduction? Boing. Yes. Yeah, and it's hard as shit, and it's more obtuse, and I, I would say a worse game than, than the first one we played, Mystery House. Uh, Brock, have you ever played any of these? Is this the first one of these really old Sierra games you've played where it's just black and white with these ugly stick figures? And you have now, to take... I've done Mystery House. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, there's no further back that we can go from like this point. This is this this feels like the oldest one to me somehow. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, I mean, it is it is game number zero in a series. So it it goes beyond just kind of being arcane in the way that a lot of early Sierra adventure games are. I feel that this game is actively hostile towards the player. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> also, I mean, I'll just go out and say it. Sierra's parser is shit at this point. Like, people that grew up with Infocom, like Zork, and especially some of the later ones like Planetfall, uh, some of those classic text adventures, it, it it was pretty robust. It could understand a lot of what you were trying to do. In this, like, in the beginning, you're in a door, and you might say, like, go door or open door, and it's like, I don't know what you mean. And then I'm like, fuck you, Mission Asteroid, and I turn it off. And then I'm like, I have to play it for the show. So I start it back up again. But, so uh, fun, it's... <laughs> funny, funny, you should mention that. Go door is great. It's just a wonderful line. <laughs> so, so I spent 15 minutes struggling with getting past <laughs> that first door. Yeah. I wish I was joking. <laughs> Before, like, okay, oh, okay, open door. Okay, good. Go up, go north, go door, enter door. Oh, enter door works. Okay. Oh, there's another door. Open door. No, that doesn't work. Go door. No, that doesn't work. Enter door. Oh, God, enter door. It still doesn't work. <laughs> um, like, talk to your secretary. She says nothing. Ah! Um, and so I, I, I struggled with that and then put it down and found a playthrough uh, that I watched while also sort of reading I watched it while going back and forth and reading a walkthrough just to see if there's anything that the playthrough was missing I don't know how they expect and and figure this stuff out and like the fact that you're supposed to that you can't progress unless you check your watch I didn't know I had to check my watch I thought that beeping was coming from inside the building I thought that was like an alert because you only... begin you're outside of the army base right yeah you need and to go like, for your mission briefing know you have to check your watch if you read the manual where it says it's always good to check your watch. So the the plot of this game, if you're if you're just uh, tuning in, is a is a <laughs> it's a mission uh, to an asteroid uh, where the asteroid is going to hit the planet, and you're at a military base and presumably are an astronaut uh, who has some skill set to be the only person to save the Earth. Um, you enter the building, uh, you get briefed. Uh, you then have to use a passphrase to get past a secretary, and then you enter an endless, like, sort of maze of of military base <laughs> rooms uh, where the the next few things that you have to do are to uh, grab explosives, 
work out and take a shower and then you just go get on a spaceship like that's it and like you the, the process of getting to the spaceship takes a solid third of the game the next third of the game is just opening and closing various doors around the spaceship but here's the thing flying to the asteroid and, and dropping off the bombs it takes uh, maybe a minute like there is you you literally mm -hmm. you are on earth and you have the whole control panel in front of you and you uh you pull one switch and then it just says you are in space like that's how fast it was and then you press another button and you land and when you land on the asteroid that's when you go put your space suit on which you didn't have on previously for some <laughs> reason uh it's just hanging out on the ship waiting for you but you can't put it on earlier than that so oh, it's just fucking wild <laughs> oh don't forget you have to turn on the air valve on your space suit Yes, at a, at a moment that there is no prompt for you to do so. So I, I have to ask, yeah. did, did any of you not take the shower? Like, does, do you know what happens if you don't take the shower or don't work out? See, that's what I'm wondering is like, that's a good it, question. it seems like it's artificial doors everywhere. Like, like what would happen? Normally, I would test those variables, but I was so frustrated <laughs> with the 15 minutes it took to get past the secretary that I kind of didn't fuck around with that. Uh, I I, I kind of now wish wish I did because like one of the rooms you can stumble upon in the base, which you're not told how to navigate, right. is a room with reporters in it. And like, do, what happens if you talk to reporters? Like, does the world go into a panic? Is there a consequence? Why is that you, there? You, you tell them the secret passphrase that you told the secretary, and then they can you know also come into the base. <laughs> <laughs> well, the you accidentally revealed the top secret code word. And then everyone well, knows about the asteroids. Well, there's also, you know, a lot a lot of people have joked about that that game where it has like press A to pay respects. But yes. this this game I think is the first game I've ever seen that is loaded with those useless prompts. Like when you go into the room to talk to the generals, like the general is in this room, you'd better salute. And you actually have to salute to to progress. Well, at least there it's giving it you is, a it hint is the for weird fuck's sake. inverse of it that like so much of the game is just this random stuff that you would never fucking guess in your life. And then the other parts of it, it says, this is what you should do now. And you're like, I guess that's what I should do. And then it's like, you did it. And you're like, I did it. And then that's, that's the saluting. Yeah. It, it, it's wild to see it, like random things just written out to explicitly tell you like that is next step. Just do that. <laughs> I mean, so, an easier source of revenue for um, Sierra, I think even at the time, what was hint guides for these things. And they would intentionally, especially early on, make these puzzles so obtuse that you would have to buy the hint guide to beat the game pretty much. I remember the Space Quest one uh, definitely was one of the first I had that had um, like the, the answers to various things were covered in that white and red stuff that you had to wear the red glasses. Oh, the yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's uh, that's something I don't miss. Well, beyond that, though, that yeah. book also has solutions to puzzles that weren't in the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Which god, I, that's I so funny! Bit. That's really funny. I didn't know that. That's... But so we're talking about we're talking about these like th these like solutions. And one of the things when you talk to the general, you know, he explains the mission and he explains how to get to the asteroid. It's all like you got to go in this direction and burn the engine for this many minutes. And I'm like, and I, my thought, oh, that's intriguing. So we're actually going to go into the ship and set our bearings and like tell it how long to fire the engines. No, we don't. We it pull is a the lot throttle. of information that you write down very quickly to be like, this is going to matter, and then it does Jesus. not. Yeah, you, but like, even you pull the throttle to get into space, and instead of like setting a bearing, 
you press buttons which make the engine burn in a particular direction for five-minute increments. And what are the buttons? Are they up, down, left, and right? No. They're black, white, <laughs> orange, and blue. <laughs> and you know why that is? Why? Because those are the only three colors they can do on the Apple II? Yeah, you're, it's, it was a big deal that these were color graphics in a game. And Wizard uh, and the Princess was color, Mystery House was not. And so they wanted to push the whole, our games would feature rich color graphics, whatever shit they say in the back. I mean, think think of it. The subtitle for all these like first 10 adventure games that Sierra did, high-res adventure, high-res, high-resolution. Well, what, what is high-res changes as the hardware develops? Yeah, high-res as a term by itself means nothing. It's just look. This is a this is a part of the game where you could only figure it out through trial and error because nothing indicates that the yep. buttons make the engine burn for five minutes. When you press a button, it doesn't say the engine burns for five minutes in this direction. It is just random button pushing. And and I'm imagining like, what if this is a real NASA mission? Here's how you get to the ship. We haven't labeled the. Here's how you get to the asteroid. We haven't labeled the controls. Just press buttons until you get there. And wear whatever you want. You'll be able to change later. <laughs> I mean, that, that'd be a good idea for a sketch. Like, for NASA Space Academy, they have to beat Mission Asteroid without hints. Oh, my God. Within a time limit. A Just joke like for the space. three of us and anyone listening. I, I think so, right? Uh, I think, yeah. Uh, I wonder how this sold in comparison to the others. I mean, it's so... God. I mean, can you imagine giving this to a kid? This is supposed to be an introductory adventure game, right? 1980 on the Apple... Uh, I believe I believe it's like Apple 2GS or whatever. And... Uh, here, 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 Bobby. Here's mission, or or Samantha, or whatever. Here, here's mission asteroid. This is this is for kids. It's a game for the whole family. And then you know, it's thirty minutes of your family screaming at each other. You can't open a goddamn door. Well, like uh, that would be a fun party game to just sort of like to socialize <laughs> and try to collectively get through this game. That could be enjoyable, especially for people like us. But yeah, it's like the manual says, like it's it's weeks worth of adventure. Yes, because of all the pointless trial and error. <laughs> And it does have a save feature, but it's a rudimentary save feature. (laughs) And if you saved after doing something that will that will make victory impossible, well, well, I guess you're going to have to go back to the beginning eventually. I I mean, I guess that lays out the foundation for all Sierra games. So, yeah, yeah, they were known for and not only being obtuse, but being kind of mean and being able to die in different ways. I, I played through this myself and got the good ending, uh, using a walkthrough, of course, to save time. But then I watched a playthrough where you get the bad ending. At, and there's the thing, I don't know how this modifies things, but when you land on that on the asteroid and you set the timer before you set the bomb off, does setting the timer make a difference? Is that like you're kind of setting the difficulty for yourself to limit the number of moves? Well, the game does have a time limit. You're given a specific time it's like 9 30 at night that the asteroid's gonna explode, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. And yeah, like, I think the watch, right? And, and I think the game, I believe the game does in some fashion keep track of it, even if maybe it only updates the clock every time you move. So, like, because like the walkthrough that I found suggested that you set the timer to 150, which I guess is 150 minutes, not 150 seconds. It was unclear to me what the 150 represented. But the playthrough, they set it to 120. And I've heard that there's people who will set it to even less than that. Because if you don't do it in enough time, you just get this rudim- you get this stupid text prompt. Like, the asteroid killed, hit Earth, everyone died. 
thanks for playing, <laughs> Ken and Roberta Williams. Ken and Roberta. <laughs> well, thanks, even then, like, if you get the good ending, like you don't like see the asteroid blow up over the horizon. You <laughs> just see the military base, and you're told, oh, the mission was a success. The asteroid blew up before impact. You don't see a parade. You don't see a, a, a trophy. <laughs> A, a medal from the general. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, like yeah, like the the end of Star Wars. Like, the... That should be the final thing. Re- receive a medal. You have to type it in. That's hilarious. Yeah. The general's offering you a medal. You better accept it. Uh, so, as as a as a fan of science fiction, Brock, how do you think Mission Asteroid holds up? Do you think it's more hard science or soft science? <laughs> yeah, the hard science of. Uh... <laughs> Figuring out the buttons and also knowing that the bomb should go in the hole and not on the ground. That's uh... <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I, it is technically hard science. It is hard to figure out how to do the science. <laughs> well, so, something that I did appreciate is that you do have to treat the airlock like an airlock. But that also takes up like most of the game. <laughs> That, that is true. Like, I'll, I'll give it That's... points for realism, but I got to deduct points for tedium. Yeah, uh, Warren Spector, who uh, produced such games as um, System Shock and, oh, gee, he did Epic Mickey, which was a horrendous game. But uh, he said, you know, when when reality meets fun, fun wins. And he's talking about game design. Oh, yeah. And, and I think of that with some of these you got to push like five gazillion different colored buttons. Like who the hell wants to do that? I mean, adventure games are are kind of a pain in the ass by design, right? You're trying to guess puzzles someone else planned out, which can be fun. It can be frustrating. And ideally you enjoy some kind of a a narrative along the way. I mean, that's what made it attractive to me, uh, these kind of games as a kid. You know, it's funny you mentioned that tension between reality and fun. That was also the, the sort of the, the watchword, on uh, the electric company, that uh, the educational children's show from the late seventies and early eighties, where the their their whole their their the whole thing the, the what the writers were told is you know as you're writing a scene, this is an educational show, but if you're ever writing a scene and you get to a point where you have to choose between being being entertaining or being educational, always make it always choose entertaining. We'll work in the education later. <laughs> and that's part of why that show was so good. I had uh, problems in the game early on uh, putting the disc into the computer. Did anyone else have trouble with that? Oh yeah, that's yeah. part of it. You kind of it's like get disc, put uh, enter disc or insert disc, insert where, insert into I think drive because I think slot doesn't work or computer also, doesn't. Work. I think it was a weird spelling of diskette, or maybe it's just been so many mm. years since I've spelled that that I kept doing that wrong, even though it was written on the screen. <laughs> right. Put it in the computer hole. <laughs> Find hole. <laughs> well, like that was so weird. I kept waiting for the disc you put in to be a Sierra Adventure game, and then you fall into that game. <laughs> it's not a bad idea, or a plug, or something. They they used to do that. Yeah. Like, well, in King's Quest Two, you look in a hole in a tree, and then you see a commercial for Space Quest One. <laughs> Well, there, or there's the, uh, or like a Maniac, uh, Day of the Tentacle, where you can find the Maniac Mansion game in Day of the Tentacle and play it. <laughs> God, I haven't thought of that in years. Yeah, you're right. Um, and Mission Asteroid, really, uh, I, I think Mick, Michael Bay ripped this off for Armageddon. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it was a notion that was like tossing around in like 
astrophysics circles for ages. And I think there's a, I think there's a Larry Niven novel or a novel called like Lucifer's Hammer. It's by some science fiction author from the seventies. It might not be Larry Niven. It might be Arthur C. Clarke or somebody where like, that is the mission is they're sending people to an, an asteroid to drill into it, put a bomb in its core and blow it apart. It is by uh, Jerry Pornell and Larry oh. Niven. So that's Ooh. quite the twosome. They do good collaborations. The, yeah, they did quite a lot. 1977, so same same year as Star Wars. Although this cover I'm seeing on Wikipedia, the drawing of the asteroid looks like a skid mark behind this like thick 70s lettering. <laughs> uh, speaking of skid marks, Mission Asteroid. Um, I, I wonder if I mean here, here's something, Brock. What do you think about like mazes in general in these kind of games? Because they're quite common in the old ones. See uh, the. The way that the colors took forever to load up uh, mm-hmm. for each screen uh, and the maze-like quality of it, um, I mean, obviously, that harkens to every game for many years here in this period. But, like, uh, it had me thinking about uh, Maze Master or something uh, that was on Prodigy. I just remember, I remember playing that. Yeah, oh. it, it looks exactly like this, except, it, like, you stayed in the maze and there was a fantasy world. I... I, I I got so on it that I actually like Googled it and found screenshots and like playthroughs that people had. And I'm like, how are people in 2010, like 2020 doing playthroughs of a prodigy online game? Like it just baffles me. How do you even get a copy of an online game from like the late eight? That's maybe somebody that, that's in source code. That's impressive. I, yeah. Huh. That's weird. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, it's, or like Wizardry or Bard's Tale, right? Those old RPGs that are just right. m- mainly mazes with combat. Uh, and, and maybe like half a page worth of story. Where you have even... A, I, I don't think adventure games did this, but some of the RPGs would do this, like Fallout, where to to fit the game on one diskette instead of two to save money, you would say like, you go into a town, read paragraph 23 from the manual. <laughs> yeah. And and you had to look it up. Well, it kind of reminds me of like a Quest for Glory two, where there's there's that m- map of the maze that comes with the game, but you've kind of got to figure it figure out yourself where locations are and use that as a navigational aid. And and that's something that stood out. Is I did not I did not like Mission Asteroid, but it kept putting me in mind of things that Sierra would do so much better later on, like all the airlock stuff. Which, you know, in Space Quest V, there's like a, a little shuttlecraft in an airlock, and you'll go through something very similar, except there, things are prop buttons are properly labeled, and it's kind of intuitive the 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 order of operations you go through to op- to open the airlock safely and fly out of it. And even if you fail, there's at least a humorous death animation. <laughs> So um, you're a big fan of Space Quest, Brock. Do you, do you have any of those death animations that you love? Oh, God. I mean, yeah, I, I, I'd certainly never played a game like that uh, when I was a kid anywhere else where, like, yeah, every death is different and, and animated and, and just so weird. So, like, w- watching myself, like, step into acid by accident and have the game taunt me by telling me how terribly I've died and, like, explain how... I'll, or, or like I've traveled through time to the wrong place and uh, will now be trapped in hell for 10,000 millennia or something. I was like, these are bleak. It, it, I did not understand for years that it was supposed to be a funny game. 
Interesting. Yeah, I mean, because there's a lot of aliens and, and ways to die. And uh, if you don't quite get the humor, it can come off as mean. It, I think it's maybe more snarky than mean. But yeah, as a kid, certainly, yeah, that, that subtleties can be hard to pick up on. Uh, even for some adults, it can be hard to pick up on. But with... Um, right. God, with, with all that Space Quest stuff, you reminded me, like, uh, I think maybe the first game I played where you had to type in text that was more like this, where it's like the static screens and you're going from room to room, uh, was a Spider-Man game on a friend's computer. Uh, really? Tina. Yeah. Um, this guy, I believe his name is Scott Adams, but he's not the Dilbert guy, made like a lot of adventure games. And then he got the Marvel license for like five years and then proceeded to only pump out three games, which pissed off the publisher. Because um, he could use any <laughs> character he wanted. He did, uh, I think, a Human Torch game, a Spider-Man game, and an Incredible Hulk game. And it had an exclusive tie-in comic that was done by Marvel writers and artists that tied in the plot and involved some gem. Like it, it, it was pretty ambitious. Like the plots would connect between the game and you'd have cameo appearances. But as Spider-Man, you start off in an office and I think the bad guy is the lizard. And uh, my, uh, my friend's older brother who I was playing it with, I was in, oh, let's say second grade. And this friend, this, my friend's brother that was playing it, he was like 13. So he had a much bigger uh, vocabulary and he typed in commit suicide. And for, oh that really God. sticks in my mind. Like, I didn't know what this was. I learned what commit suicide meant from this experience. And I still remember what the parser said. It says, I don't know how to commit something. What does suicide mean? Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Like that, that's yeah. in a movie where the AI starts learning dangerous yeah. things. I, I think so, yeah. But I, I, don't, I don't know why I remember that shit so much all these years later, man. But, like, ugh. It's because it, you think, oh, a Spider-Man text adventure. I get to punch... Uh, Mysterio in the mouth or, or you know, <laughs> to jump off a building or, or use the web shooter. And it's like, no, you get to open cardboard boxes in rooms and get lost in a maze <laughs> in a hallway. <laughs> I, I don't know how to swing something. <laughs> yeah. What is this web you speak of? <laughs> Do not understand spider. Do not want. <laughs> Oh boy, um, yeah. I mean, I would I like say that overall, this is the first game to have like a a, a meta narrative crossover that I've ever heard of, but also the game to like to really show that people didn't understand what they were adapting or why anyone would want yes. to play them. <laughs> yeah. What What's the appeal of that of that Pete, license? It's just Pete, it's a Peter Parker game. It's just him like <laughs> interning at a paper, and you can't even <laughs> shoot photos because you can't see anything. It's text only. And then when you when you hand in your assignment to J. Jonah Jameson, he tells you to uh, you have to write you have to write up a quick uh, article to fill out the classified <laughs> in the game. You have to guess the correct letters for each thing in this paragraph of this classified ad is one of the puzzles. <laughs> you know, I just it just occurred to me. Imagine how much worse this game would be if it was also tied into some sort of copy protection gimmick. Oh, Mission of course. Skinner. Yeah. Look, well, see, that's that's what it feels like the the uh, the the jet section should be in in ours is uh, to the, to know which button corresponds with something and how many times to press it. Yes. That should have been the copy protection. Yeah, the game comes with like a rocket owner's yeah. manual. <laughs> that's right. I uh, 
And I mean, speaking of, um, you know, Space Quest and King's Quest and some of those Sierra stuff later on when they had a lot of games in the franchise, uh, Sierra, I don't think they published it, but they certainly advertised it in their magazine interaction, had these big, thick, like 500 page books that half of them was, was like a walkthrough, right? Where it says, you know, pick up this, do this. The other half was almost like fan fiction written like a narrative of the plot of the games. Peter Spear really? was the author of some of them, and they did this for Space Quest, uh, King's Quest, and Police Quest. And the Police Quest one reads like gay porn in particular for some reason. About Fantastic. And taking showers and everything. It's quite uh, by far the most humorous of them all. But it's really, it's like, who the hell is your audience for that? Like some of the strategy guides would do that back in the day. X-Wing and TIE Fighter had like a novella in the in the hint guide. Which to me makes no sense. It's kind of cool, but like, why? Uh, maybe to charge more for the book because it's more pages. I have no idea. But do you remember? I, any- I uh, went back to replay uh, Police Quest One last year for oh a different podcast. Uh, uh-huh. And and speaking of things that like, just everything needs to be done in a particular order, or or the or it's game over. Uh, uh-huh. Holy shit! From the from the opening yes. seconds of that game. The, you you leave the police station to go get in your car to go go somewhere, and if you don't do the following things in the right order, you have to like type in to check like around the car. Uh, you have to uh, make sure to inspect something. You have to unlock the door. You have to put your seatbelt on. You yes. have to type in to like look in the rearview mirror before like pulling back, <laughs> and then and then you are given the pleasure of like the worst driving game you've ever experienced where. Uh, you can't speed and you'll hit everything. It's just, it, it is an impossible. So mm. yeah, it, they, they've always been this. And I, I think that's part of what makes them so fascinating is like these ideas, were they ever good? And why do I like them so much most of the time? Because <laughs> you're a masochist. Um, yes, probably. Uh, yeah. Because I, I was I, raised I, on it. <laughs> it. It really is something, these kind of like arcade sequences in these Sierra games, and they would put it as a bullet point on the back of the box, like hot arcade action. And did anyone, I mean, some of them are okay. I think there is one in Leisure Suit Larry 3 where you're jumping over logs or something, but that at least has the sense to give you the option to skip it if you fail enough times. Well, it's kind of weird is every now and then they would re- they would release like a disc that just had the arcade segments. Oh my god, you're right. That's idiotic. I mean, it's kind uh, of it's kind of fun. Like, I remember. Is I, it? Well, super well, chicken. What, uh, what was the thing? Uh, the chicken and Space Quest Three. Like those oh, yeah, were okay. Astro yeah. chicken, the hover car from Space Quest One, the Burger Time thing from Burger Space Time. Quest yeah, I, like I remember. Um, when uh, this this was ages ago when my when my sister was in the hospital, uh, my grandfather had bought one of those first laptop laptops, those really thick phone book looking ones. Oh wow! And, and so handle? like he, he let her borrow it in the hospital, and yeah. I, I I made her a copy of that disc, and like that was Wait. her game. Is she would uh, alternate between playing all the Space Quest uh, arcade sequences. It couldn't play anything more complex than that, though. Couldn't do a full Space Quest. <laughs> uh, so Brock, you were mentioning, you know, one of the games I think you played was Goblins. Was that right? Yes. In the Goblins games, they were, I believe, French developed. You can tell, like, it doesn't have an American feeling. Oh yeah, feeling that's that's the it. most French game you'll ever play. <laughs> <laughs> and and also, um, it 
doesn't have dialogue, which I think is kind of genius. And do you think that helps the puzzles? Because you have to uh, kind of, they, they talk in these cartoon bubbles or make these like, rrr, 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 like these Sims noises. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the first game, Goblins, which actually has three eyes in it, like they do a reverse uh, sort of thing where as the game series goes on, the number of letters I in the title go down uh, as the number of characters go down. Uh, but in the first one, Goblins, uh, you control three different goblins uh, in, in a series of locations, uh, and each one has sort of its own skill set. Uh, and so you try to arrange puzzles in this way to 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 make it work. Uh, and uh, yeah, it is it is probably my first real introduction to uh, totally abstract uh, adventure game logic. Like I, I know that I didn't have like a foundation to understand what I was seeing in Space Quest or to know what the Doctor Who references were or that it was supposed to be funny. Goblins, I understood, was supposed to be fucking bizarre, and it, and it <laughs> is, and every choice you make, it, yeah, it is something that I do not think it would be possible to do without a guide, because it isn't just your three little weird dudes, it's an entire fantasy world with its own set, set of rules, and an insane <laughs> emperor, and like, you don't know what physics. the names of objects are. Physics, mm. yes. And, and if it's been so long, but weren't the goblins a bit thirsty too? Yes. There, there's some standard French horniness in there. <laughs> I've got to check these out at some point. Oh, you never. There's a later game that was a lot like it with, with one of the worst titles I've ever seen. It was like Woodruff and Schnibble Take a Walk. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, some of these titles. I think later, even uh, one of the the Goblins games, they called Goblin Quest in some markets. Um, oh, to, they to should have. It, that would have been a better name. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, when you're localizing it for, I mean, part of the reason you don't have the guy speak, I suppose, is you don't you save in translation costs. But um, oh boy, yeah. But but I mean, to, to give a rating on Mission Asteroid, then we'll go talking about more of this other um, fun stuff. Mission Asteroid, I would not recommend it. It's a piece of shit. It, it's not as bad as Wizard and the Princess, but uh, it's close. Uh, it's interesting that it's in space, but as... Uh, it's far that, less good than Mystery House. <laughs> uh, agreed, and that's quite odd. You think you get better the more games you make, but not Roberta Williams. <laughs> well, like, it's one of those things... No, I think she does improve, but like, she I think does. this no, game's... That's not quite fair, but... I think most of this game's problem comes from the fact that it's it's bigger and not better. Like, I, yeah. you could probably boil this whole game down to be about a third of its length, and you'd have a nice, tight little adventure game, but it's like, it's all the quality of Mystery House, but spread way too thin. It's that quality spread over the scope of Wizard and Princess. I mean, you know what? I've been meaning to teach myself Adventure Game Studio, which fans have used to make a lot of, you know, adventure games, like, like King's Quest or even in the old... I might try to do a remake of this as a project to learn that platform. And try to make it like not awful. That might be a good <laughs> exercise. Because I don't, because I, I don't think um, EA is going to sue me or whoever owns the right. No, Activision owns Sierra. Jeez, um, what, what a crazy thing. And in fact, um, this, so like Sierra was never shy about releasing. Or I guess we'll, we'll go to you, Brock. Would you rec Do you think this game's a piece of shit? Oh, absolutely, total yeah, piece okay. of shit. Do not waste your time. If you want to watch the the playthrough. Yeah, uh, that was aforementioned. It's 15 minutes long on YouTube, and you can see the entirety of this. And even watching it in a 15 minute form is not fun either. Pro tip. 
rip it's the still, video it from still YouTube, feels way watch too long on, by triple. <laughs> yeah. No, rip the video from YouTube and play it at five times speed. Yeah. <laughs> with the sound off. Uh, but, um, yeah, Mission Asteroid, no good. Uh, but what was I going to say? Yeah, so Sierra would release a lot of these compilations over the years, right? It might have King's Quest 1 through 3 in a packet and a new low price or whatever, or the Space Quest collection. Um, late in, before Sierra went all haywire and everyone left and they got bought out by uh, some huge conglomerate around the time of like Gabriel Knight 3, uh, they had something called the Roberta Williams Anthology that had 10 games, had had the King's Quest games, the Laura Bo games, and a lot of these early ones like we're talking about here. And I can only imagine uh, a, a kid goes to the store, buys the Roberta Williams classic, it says in big letters, comes with 15 games, and then you fire up Mission Asteroid. <laughs> That's a pure filled swallow. Um, it... I won't say this is the worst game I've ever played. Uh, no. <laughs> say one positive thing about it. I like the cover artwork. I think that's a nice painting of of an asteroid, of a man, of a, of a dude on an asteroid in a spacesuit. I like that your one compliment for the game is not anything that anyone making the game or the game itself have to do with. <laughs> Uh, okay, I, I'll give one thing I like about the game itself. The way okay. the people are drawn is charming with their squiggly faces. <laughs> oh, the people are so terrible. Oh, it looks like a deranged child drew them. Oh, it's my favorite thing. Well, it's the same thing. It's all hand-drawn, but then they use that, that, that rudimentary scanner to turn it into a graphic, yeah. correct? Yeah, and Roberta Williams did the graphics for this game. They had someone else do the graphics for Wizard and Princess, which is why it looks nominally better. And... Um, she is is many things. She is a uh, an artist certainly, but drawing is not her strong suit. Um, but I think it was cheaper for the Williamses to keep it in house rather than shop it out to someone else and and pay a teenage kid to to make drawings. But Mission Asteroid is just really one of those. Uh, yeah, the the faces are very charming, even if like they look slanted, like nothing is really to scale. Uh, she can draw a good table. The computer looks okay. Um, I'm damning this with faint praise, but, <laughs> but I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, there has to be someone out here, a listener. If like Mission Asteroid is your favorite game, please send us, uh, reach out to me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-P-T. I would love to know if someone loves Mission Asteroid or maybe as a kid, like this was their favorite one. Or maybe like their daddy broke their home computer after playing Mission Asteroid. Because they were stuck in a puzzle. Um, with so, I mean, other than the Sierra games, were there other adventure games you liked, Brock? Oh, uh, you know, I, I was big fans of, uh, especially like the uh, the Star Trek twenty uh, fifth anniversary. Oh, yes. Uh, the yeah, those old school ones, like uh, point and click adventure stuff like that. I. Had a great time playing those with my grandfather. Uh, loved, loved, loved those. Did you play those, Thrasher? I'm sorry, which one? I... There were two point-and-click Star Trek games, Star Trek 20, 25th Anniversary and Star Trek Judgment Rights. Oh, mm -hmm. you know what? I those I know at least one of them I did, in fact, play with my uh, 
with with my friend Mark and my friend Ian. I think it might be the second one. It's whichever one has those ancient like slug aliens that end up like <laughs> interfering in the uh, mm. in the Federation. I can't recall which game that is. Uh, one of the writers on those games later wrote a bunch of Star Wars novels. Um, oh, it was really? The guy, yeah, uh, Michael A. Stackpole, he wrote the X-Wing hmm. novels. He yeah. was a writer oh, cool. on those Star Trek games, and he also wrote for early interplay RPGs like Wasteland, writing the paragraph uh, text in the book, in the manuals, um, and doing some game design. He did early RPG game design stuff, kind of like you do, Thrasher, for the pen and paper stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially the the CD-ROM versions of those games they eventually released, uh, all the cast was still alive, and somehow, I don't know how the hell you booked that deal, right? Getting the whole cast to do a fucking computer game? Are you kidding me? And they're all like old men who probably don't know what a computer is. Um, like well, Leonard Nimoy do those IBM ads. I think they know what computers are. A paycheck's a paycheck, but... It, still, I mean, that's quite an impressive get, I think. Did you play the version with the voices, Brock, or...? Yes. Yeah, because I bet they made it more special playing with your grandpa, because I assume you guys would watch Star Trek together, the TV show. Exactly. Uh, anything, uh, what about, especially in the first game, you have a lot of, like, flight sim sequences? Yes. What do yeah, you think the about protection that? on the on that game was that you had uh, the star oh, map. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and if you uh, didn't, uh, if you didn't know which planet you were going to, you would always wind up, like, Somewhere deep in uh, Klingon space where uh, a whole bunch of ships would attack you until you died forever. Uh, so, yeah, that. you had to make sure to go to the right one. Where there was also usually a Klingon ship waiting to blow you up. So, yeah, it was uh, some, some tricky early flight sim stuff to get to the point-and-click adventure stuff. But I, I have such fond memories of it. Is there a particular... So, I mean, the game, especially Judgment Rights, I think, has kind of an overarching story. But it's divided up into episodes, as it were. Is there one uh, that sticks out to you as being like, well, that this could actually be as good as a Star Trek episode, or maybe this one was kind of weird or whatever? Uh, there's there's one, I believe it's in the second game, uh, and the episode uh, is you're stuck on a space station with uh, the character that brought the Tribbles on in the Tribble episode. Oh. Uh, and he's up to some new... Zero-no-jones. Yeah. Yes, that's it. Eh. Uh, so, yeah, you have a... Wacky time trying to get him out of a pickle, and then he runs away. <laughs> I bet they probably used the original actor from the series for that, too. I mean, they you could tell that the, the guys that wrote those games knew that series like the back of their hand. Even the mundane stuff like Captain's Log, Stardate 5273. There's right, right. Uh, something from a planet. I mean, it, it sounds like classic Trek. It's not like the J.J. Abrams stuff, which I, I, I'm kind of hit and miss on those but like you don't get beastie boy sabotage blaring <laughs> did you not enjoy that um not i enjoyed it more in the third film than the first one uh, star trek gotcha. beyond i thought it was a lot it, of fun it's like in in the moment i like it but it jars so much the rest of that film <laughs> <laughs> you can tell jj abrams is a guy that really wants to direct star wars but he's doing star trek instead <laughs> did you like those newer pictures oh yeah very much so yeah i uh the i forget the actor's name i got even saw him live at a panel what is it carl urban that plays mccoy yes uh, is that right it's spectacular yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, another start. I mean, I guess we're on a sci-fi kick mission asteroid. Sure. It's related. And we got 10 minutes here. Um, there's one I always meant to play. My computer was too slow at the time called bridge commander. It's a star Trek game. Yes. Did you ever play that one? I, I, I think I got it on steam at some point and was like, I'm finally going to sit down to do this and never have. Oh, okay. I, if it's on steam, I should probably look for it, but it's like done by Larry Holland who did the X-Wing games thrasher. And it's just, yeah, as the name, you, you talk to different people on the crew, and it does have that flight sim element, but within through the Star Trek lens. Uh, there, I mean, yeah, I mean, God, that would be a, a podcast or something maybe for later. But that if you think there's a lot of shitty Star Wars games, there's even more crappy Star Trek games, and they made a lot more of them too. <laughs> So with the adventure games, I'm thinking, Thrasher, is there stuff that wasn't Sierra games that you played? I, I seem to recall in college we talk about Monkey Island a lot. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, did, I, I played all the, yeah. all the LucasArts games, and I would love to, and I would try to, like, I, I would I would often try to branch out into into other adventure games, but you know, Sierra and LucasArts were kind of the top of that industry for, for the longest time. And then you had interesting hybrids. Like, I was a a huge fan of Wing Commander Privateer, which is primarily a flight sim, except there are loads of NPC interactions and equipment that you need to pick up that will have effects later in the game. I think that's something I've always wanted. I've always wanted a game that sort of more properly synthesizes aspects of flight simulation um, mm. and and uh, and an adventure game. And I, honestly, I kind of think the closest we ever really came to that was Star Control 2, which plays as both a starship simulator and an adventure game. You're just, instead of having an inventory, you've got a cargo hold where you put interesting gadgets and you are trying to find neat combinations to move the story forward. I'm very curious to play this recent one that is is still like in fundraising, even though it's been over a decade and it's raised, I think like almost a billion dollars. Star Citizen, has anyone played that? Or have you heard of that, Brock? I, I am I'm very f familiar with the community around it. It seems like a, a real disaster. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 the next decent paycheck I have, I think I'll buy it because I finally have a computer that can barely run it at like two frames a second. Just because I was such a wing commander nut growing up, but it's uh, Kotaku in particular. I think Jason Schreier, uh, when he was there, did a lot of excellent stories about the um, nonsense uh, allegedly going on behind the scenes. But it's like, I, I, my day job is I work QA for um, software development for like business apps. And we have a phrase when we're doing updates that's just like ship it is something you hear in the industry a lot where it's like, you can keep on trying to improve things, but at some point you got to cut features and just send that puppy out the door. And it's the same when you're writing an article or writing a book, you know. Well, done is better than perfect. Yep. <laughs> sometimes yeah sometimes probably <laughs> sometimes yeah, they, dead is they, better yeah i think they even have like a convention for it now each year and it's like oh my what, god what really? are you doing having you conventions fuckers. for yeah it's it's <laughs> to raise more money which they keep doing and every time they do it i'm like <sighs> I, who who is still giving money like is it the sort of thing that you sunk in a hundred dollars the first time and now you have like a buyer's remorse, so you're like, I'll put another 75 in so that first hundred isn't a waste. 
I mean, to be clear, when I buy it, I'm going to buy the bundle for the single that comes with the single player game that still isn't out where they filmed motion capture with Mark Hamill, John Reese Davies, Gary Oldman, for fuck's sake, uh, it, where it's more of like a single player wing commander experience. But yeah, I don't I, I don't know. One of the most pathetic articles I've read in my life in gaming journalism was about a guy. Uh, I can't recall the website. It could have been. I'll just say it's Kotaku, but it's, it's probably not. Uh, this guy put a lot of money into Star Citizen, so much so that he refuses to take his families on vacation, using the justification that if we're going to go on vacation, you know, we can go in this uh, $3,000 spaceship and visit somewhere in the Star Citizen verse, man. Jesus Christ. What the fuck? What the fuck? I'm a pretty open minded guy, but I cannot wrap my brain. Actually, that. you know what? I think we're done here today. That that's I, the I think end so. of video game. That's the last. <laughs> yes. That's the last video game. The they're not good now. It's over. I think yeah, video game. We we played one of the first games, and now we've heard about the last game, and that's that's a that's a uh, good. Also, sign space now. name. Yeah, we put a button on it. Uh, so Brock, you have your new poster book uh, with Nathan Rabin that came out. That's uh. Very entertaining, very good read. You can get that from bossfightbooks.com. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to plug? or? You know, I've got a friend that's making a UV Bowl game, and I, I'd, I'd love to see it on the Steam <laughs> store. <laughs> yeah, um, that's me, and I've been working on it with Gary Otto, and we got, re- I, I, I can say this, we got rejected from the Steam store because it was called a troll game meaning it was meant to incite <laughs> hatred. I did not know this was something Steam could reject games for. Um, so Also, I, how can you reject uh, something of uh, being hatred when they have actual UV Bowl movies on the Steam store? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they have the movies. They have actually UV Bowl did do a game. Um, and the reason why I, I, we're calling it UV Bowl game, it's based on a script that he co-wrote that was just never produced. Um, and I'm working with his producer. But yeah, I mean, it, it, he actually did develop a game based on his Vietnam film Tunnel Rats that you can buy on Steam. And I've, I've been tempted, but it's never on sale and it's $35. Like, and I'm, I'm kind of a, a frugal man, if nothing else. Um, I, I, but, I think the uh, YouTube playthroughs will, uh, will do it for you. I keep on forgetting about that. Yeah, but ha- have you seen Tunnel Rats? Uh, I, I've seen parts of it. I, I've seen more of the game. It, yeah. Um, how, how's the game like? Is it like a first-person shooter, like a Call of Duty yeah. thing? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think you're picking up dog tags in Vietnam. I mean, I think the concept for Tunnel Rats is cool. Do you know what those were, Thrasher, in Vietnam? Oh, yes, I do know the Tunnel Rats. Do you want to explain it to our listeners? Well, that, is, well, that, that essentially, they... So the, the Viet Cong built extensive tunnel networks, uh... Uh, in, in contested territory uh, in uh, during the war, and uh, some of them were very complex, and they were uh, were could essentially be complete uh, subterranean communities. But they were also loaded with booby traps, dead ends, things like that. And so, tunnel rats were soldiers whose job was to go into these tunnels and fl- uh, flush the Viet Cong out, or uh, collapse all the entrances, which was almost impossible. They always had numerous means of escape. And quite a lot of those troops were Australian, too. Um, it's an interesting bit of history uh, done by Uwe Boll, of all people. It's I, That's the thing I can't get over that made me write right. a book about him, and I got two more books to do. 
that I'm still contracted to do. So I need to pump those out this year. But it's that's my does, actual uh, promotion. I would like people to read your oh, book. <laughs> oh, oh, thank you. That's too kind. Um, did I send you a copy? If not, I can email you one. Yes, I've 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 been reading. <laughs> it, it is it enjoyable? It is very enjoyable. <laughs> okay, good. Thanks. I'm glad you like it. I kind of went like in the other direction of making it super positive. Um, just because a lot of the Uwe Boll discourse is negative, and then I was trying to figure out a way how how the hell am I going to write this thing? Like, I sold my first book, and now it's like, fuck, I've got to write it. I mean, I like writing. But <laughs> that's <laughs> a good problem uh, to have. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's the thing I I took, and I, I solved the problem with the translation of his early German movies that don't have subtitles. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see where things go. But that the guy did video game movies and kind of serious dramas. I mean, Thrasher, years ago, we watched uh, that um, the Uwe Boll movie about the school shootings, Heart of oh, America. Yes. Heart of America. <laughs> With Clint Howard uh, as the father saying to his son, who's one of the shooters and being kind of pissy, what are you, some kind of dark lord? Uh, qu- quite a moving scene, but... Um, <clears throat> And, and okay, that's long story short. Oh, thank thank you for plugging my things, Brock. Um, that was too that is kind. exactly the point where the episode is supposed to end. <laughs> yes. Um. And what what's your Twitter handle if people want to follow you on there? I am at Brock Wilbur on all platforms. Excellent. Uh, I'm at M A T W B T. Uh, as Brock mentioned, I have the films of Uwe Boll Volume One, the video game movies. Also, just came out with a book of game interviews called Simply the Best Interviews with Game Designers composers and scofflaws uh on amazon with interview over three dozen people including al Lowe. so that's the sierra connection mr leisure suit larry i ask about leisure suit larry's penis in that book so, fantastic yeah if he's well, isn't it based fight. on a, a question i sent to you to send to al Lowe? it is yep <laughs> i believe the and, question was leisure suit larry cut or uncut <laughs> okay and no, think... actually, that's where the podcast ends. There we go. <laughs> yeah. And Thrasher. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter, at Internet Mayor. Uh, and uh, let me see, of course, uh, you can still uh, jump into the, the, pa- the Fading Suns Pax Alexius Kickstarter has ended, but you can still pre-order the books for the new edition of Fading Suns if you want to see some of my writing. Uh, and then, uh, you know, beyond that, I'm, I'm uh, still I'm looking for some new free uh, freelance work. I'm still always available for commissions, both uh, in textual and visual, because I'm a cartoonist. Uh, so, you know, what the heck? You want to throw some 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 money my way? I can do some art for you in some form or another. <laughs> as long as you don't do what one of our friends in college did, where she needed money in college, which, OK, fine. She For less than $20, she filled an entire hardback sketchbook of dragon porn pictures people still do that today yeah for twenty dollars tradition well, well, okay a whole sketchbook for twenty dollars that's you are undercharging my yeah. friend i'm not yeah no i'm not against people drawing dragon porn i really don't give a shit uh, and that's where i end the episode <laughs>